Hello and welcome to Down the Blindside at the Rugby World Cup, brought to you in association with DID Electrical. I'm Peter O'Reilly of the Sunday Times. And I'm Brendan Fanning of the Sunny Independent. So here we are in World Cup final week. Now that we've fully digested Ireland's sorry quarterfinal exit, it's time to sit back and relish what should be a cracking game of rugby at Twickenham on Saturday. To set the scene, we'll be joined by Greg Groudon of ESPN Scrum, who's been reporting on Wallabies and World Cups pretty much since the dawn of time. We'll also be talking to former Leinster out-half Ian McKinley, who's attempting to revive his professional career after an horrific eye injury, but finding that obstacles have been put in his way by the IRFU, among others. The Guinness Pro 12 is given added spice by the first Interpro of the season, Munster v Ulster, on Friday night. There's also the intriguing possibility that Connacht might go top of the Pro 12 when they play Edinburgh on Saturday night. We have our weekly competition courtesy of DID, plus a brief look ahead to round six of the Ulster Bank League. But first, cast your mind back if you can to 1991 at the old Lansdowne Road. Kearns throws one by Eels, Far Jones, Liner. Liner steps inside, swallowed by the All Blacks. Far Jones, Campisi, David Campisi. David Campisi came across and simply skated through the All Black defence. That's uh, David Campisi carving the All Blacks apart in 1991, one of the relatively few times Australia and New Zealand have met at the Rugby World Cup. Greg Groudon uh, from ESPN is on the line now from London. Greg, you'll have happy memories of 91. Are you feeling confident about this weekend? Yeah, yes. Those, those days in Dublin were some of the best weeks of my life and fantastic. Um, no, I'm not entirely confident about Australia winning the World Cup here in a few days' time, primarily because I've been to too many recent Australian-New Zealand games where there's been so much buoyancy and then Australia falling apart in the big occasion. But I think it's going to be tight. It's going to be a terrific game and the perfect finale to this tournament. OK, well, now that we've got past Australia's reprehensible attempts at getting Richie McCaw sighted... Um, how uh, how are the fitness? <laughs> what are the fitness situations? Israel Folau, David Pocock, are those guys going to be okay? Well, they're saying they're all going to be fine. They're even suggesting that Scott Seo, who had major shoulder problems a week or two ago, should be there. Um, Pocock looks as if he's just done 20 rounds with Ali. He's apparently <laughs> going to be okay. Folau, apparently the same. But the concern here is, is that Israel Folau has been so out of form. and it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting situation where Australia have been able to get into the final with their marquee player performing so poorly. Luckily, Kirtley Bill has, has gone so well off the bench and that they've been able to cover that. But the feeling here is that yesterday, Australia are going to pick tomorrow their strongest team, including Folau, Pocock and Theo. It's funny you should mention that, Greg, because at pre-tournament we were picking Folau as one of our likely MVPs uh you know, you, you he would have been short odds. <clears throat> maybe mm. Mike, maybe Michael Michael Checker, who's so well known around these parts, maybe he's played a bit of a blinder in uh, in getting the lads to this point. Is that is that the case? Yeah, no, it's, it's a very odd. I think Klaus' major problems. I don't think he's been fit. I remember very early on in, in in one of the pool matches, he hobbled off early, and I tried to camouflage the fact that he was injured and. Uh, I just think that Czech is probably thinking, well, he's going to come good. He's you know, such a phenomenal player, and he's sort of <clears throat> bided his time in it. But it's okay. You said the great players get him, you know, always do something in the big game. So whether he's going to gamble with him, but 
I wouldn't I wouldn't be too upset if Axton Dean started at fifteen because Falau's looked a bit vulnerable, which um, in a final and particularly in a final where you have Daniel Carter, who's the best midfield picker going around, you know, he could really turn the game New Zealand's way. We haven't had any, any anybody in uh, in chip shops or kebab shops at four o'clock in the morning, and no other incidents on airplanes. <laughs> Discipline seems to have been sorted out. Is this, <laughs> is this down to checker? Well, yes. Michael Check has, has done an unbelievable job. He expects a lot from his players, but you know what, what we're sitting in the tournament is right. The, the players are scared of him because he's such he's such an intrusive. A brace of character. The players know that if they do something wrong, they're gone. So, yes, you know, a year or so ago, the Australian team was a rabble. There was problems on the plane. The team was out of control. And Australian discipline, as you all know, has been a problem for quite a while. But it's an old story. It was a, it was a time for Australia to get a real strong taskmaster in charge, and Czech has been that man. But also, the good thing about Czech is he talks New South Wales Waratahs players about it, that he is phenomenal on match day in getting the team prime. He's a great motivator, and he really gives to their their nationalism and their patriotism and so forth to do the right thing. So, yes, he has banded this team together. Um, So far, no atrocity stories have come out, but... um, I think I think that's I think it's because he really has the discipline around, and you see that in the team. They really, for the first time in a number of years, we, and it's, it would have to go back quite a while. The team is playing at one. Um, Craig, one of the reasons that uh, Checker was successful at Leinster was the power of his personality to convince the powers that be that yes, they should sign Rocky Elsom and yes, they should sign CJ Funderlinda, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et Getting the ARU to agree to the Gitto rule was a masterstroke, especially when you consider the part that Gitto and, and Drew Mitchell played last Sunday in setting up tries, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. The point is, you can say it now. Who is the boss of the Australian Rugby Union? It's Michael Checker. <laughs> he walks up to Bill Pauler and tells him, this is what I want, and if you don't like it, like it, bad luck. Because you've got to go right back to the situation where they had to sign Checker. Like, it was exploration stakes for the ARU when the whole McKenzie, Dyke, Pats and Curtly Bill in Broglio was going on. And they basically had to go to Michael Checker on bended knees to get him to sign, and he and the provisos, if you, if you was that, yeah, no, Checker basically runs it. He, I do it my way because early on, the relationship between Michael Checker and the Chief Executive of Australia, maybe even Bill Pullman, was a bit rocky. But you know, I can tell you who's a dominant partner in that, that relationship, and that's Checker. And you're right. What he did, one of the first things he did was say to the Australian Rugby Union, look, we've got to do something about these, this forum player policy, we've got some of their best players away, and also Checker having such a long time in this part of the world and knowing what was required, he knew that players with this experience, but more importantly even the the nous of knowing what is required here was important, so it was crucial to get Gitto back and get him in the fold, because Gitto left Australian rugby a, a shattered figure, he didn't get on with Robbie Deans. Drew Mitchell was playing okay, but nothing great in Australia. And also, you just the, the person you really want to look at who's transformed, who who Checker gets the best out of is Kane Douglas. And you guys can <laughs> yeah. probably give us more of an insight there because, like I heard that in, in, in Ireland, it was a basic waste of time. But look at him now; 
he's close to the best second row in the world. So, yeah, but the point is, check it, run, runs the roost, rules the roost, the ARG. I think uh, Douglas had hardly unpacked his bag when he landed in Dublin, but um, Checker was on the phone to him every other day asking him when he was coming home. But yeah, he's 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 clearly done a pretty good job on him, <clears throat> as indeed did his team do on the All Blacks in that game in Sydney at the Rugby Championship. That's got to have a massive bearing for them psychologically on, on Saturday, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I was critical of Checker the, the following week in Auckland when he made so many changes. Um, I thought that that was a prime chance of, of Australia winning the Blueslade Cup. Whether he was trying to hide Pocock away a second time, the All Blacks, who knows? But yeah, the point is, the, okay, the Auckland test is hanging over their heads because they got absolutely smacked there. But the point is, they can say, well, with a, a different team, which will be fairly close to the team that runs out there on Saturday, we were able to get a victory against Sydney. In Sydney, so yeah, no, in mind they know they can beat them. There was that one in the year before. There was a, a good draw up in Brisbane, really rattled the uh, the All Blacks. So they got, the Australians have done a definitely, fervently believe they're a strong chance. They're not going to walk walk into this game just hoping. They know that if they can dominate at the breakdown, nullify McCaw and Reed and Kano, they are a chance, but. Really, everything has to go right for them. Really, you know, because you've got you've got that. Also, the other major psychological factor is that you've got Daniel Carter and Richie McCall playing the last games, and that's going to really drive the All Blacks on. Okay, we're familiar with that 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 scenario, Greg, where everything needs to go right, uh, and it rarely does. Uh, so, look, we'll see how it goes on Saturday. Enjoy it anyway, and uh, good to talk to you. And take care of yourself. Thanks, guys. Competition time. Congratulations to last week's winner, John Bean from Belgooley in County Cork, for the chance to win a €100 voucher for any of DID's 22 stores around the country. Just answer the following question. New Zealand and Australia are both aiming for a third World Cup title this Saturday. Which other country has won the Webb Ellis Trophy twice? Is it A, South Africa, B, England or C, Brazil? Answers as usual to the competition tab at downtheblindside.com. By the way, we'll also throw in a couple of tickets for either of the Pro 12 games in Limerick or Galway this weekend. So prompt entry would be a good idea. We'll be announcing the winner on Friday. And now to something completely different. Two weeks ago, while Ireland were preparing for that crunch quarter-final with Argentina, Connacht were hosting Zebra in the Guinness Pro 12 a Zebra side that was minus Ian McKinley because he wasn't allowed to play. Five years ago, the former Leinster out half lost the sight in one eye in an horrific and accidental injury in an AIL game, but he has made a remarkable comeback and is now using specially designed goggles, which are the subject of a world rugby trial. One of the countries that has opted out of that trial, however, is Ireland, which explains why he couldn't play in Galway for his new club Zebra. To discuss the humongous frustration of all of that, we have the man himself on the line now from Italy. Ian, you're very welcome to Down the Blind Side. Thank you very much. We spoke, Ian, to the IRFU as recently as yesterday about this uh, and they conceded that they were being, and I quote, extremely cautious about this issue on the basis of what they said was independent medical advice. Uh, the exact nature of that advice, however, remains unclear. I'm wondering what they did. what did they say to you when you spoke to them? Yeah, it's been the same same feedback. Um, 
in, in terms of the safety of uh, the person wearing the goggles and, and indeed other players on the field, um, the, the frustrating thing from our point of view is uh, that it's been it's taken so long for this trial to to, to end. Uh, it started back in January 2014, um, and in terms of the the safety side of things, uh, um, having played now nearly 40 games with the goggles, um, that's been at uh, the lowest level of rugby in Italy. To then the highest level, uh, and that includes the, the Pro 12 and uh, a game with the Barbarians last year in Scotland. For me, it, uh, it is, is not an issue anymore because the goggles have stood the, the test of time, and um, that's been the huge, uh, the, the, the main positive uh, taken out of this, this project. Ian, hi, it's Peter here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that their concern is that when you tackle somebody, you're going to damage them. Is that it? Yeah, um, th- that's what I've been told. Also, on the insurance point of view, the the, the, in, the IRFU are willing to insure me without the goggles, so I can technically play in Ireland without uh, without these goggles. But they're not willing to insure me with them. Um, and having uh, after the initial accident, um, I got back playing for a year under Joe Joe Schmidt, his first year in Leinster, uh, and I was playing club rugby with, with St. Mary's and, and unfortunately in two games I had people put fingers in, in my right eye, my good eye. So um, there's no there's no way that I would uh, play a game now without any 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 protection. So I, I do need them. That was, we were, myself and Pete were talking about that when we saw you mention that in a previous interview. And like we've both been around the, the track a few times at this stage and seen mm-hmm. a fair bit in a rugby field. By a distance, Ian, that was the worst thing we have ever heard of. A bloke with one eye and this fellow's going after trying to gouge it. What was that like? Yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes when you're at the bottom of a rock, there's only so much a television camera or a referee can pick up. Um, but I, I certainly know what was uh, felt. Uh, and uh, it's certainly not a nice experience. Um, so what was what I said was always that I never want to... Uh, return to the field without some sort of protection because rugby obviously uh, is not my whole life. It's it's a big part of it, but it's not my whole life. And you want to uh, grow up uh, seeing your your kids or or that sort of thing. You don't want to be uh, you don't want to become totally uh, dependent on on others. So um, for me, it's a no brainer. <laughs> okay, and it it looks like the trial will run now until late next year. Are you hopeful of getting a result at this stage, or are these setbacks a bit unnerving? No, absolutely. That's why the uh, a petition has been put out. That's why we are putting uh, media pressure on the IRFU and, and World Rugby because, as I said, since uh, January 2014, this has been going on. And the frustrating thing from our point of view has been the amount of times that that final date has been changed. We keep uh, initially it was six months after the initial trial, and that just keeps. Uh, changing and, and that's the frustrating thing because at the end of the day I uh, I can't pursue my full professional career. I am playing professionally here in Italy but the bigger teams in Italy uh, are not willing to commit to me because they don't know when this trial is going to end. Therefore I can't um, can't play in certain games uh, and, and that's the hugely frustrating thing is that I know I have the capacity at this stage to, to, to play at, at say a pro 12 level and uh, that, that that's currently been blocked. So 
that's the, obviously the pro uh, England and France <coughs> excuse me are not going to affect your competition in the pro 12 but do you have any yeah. feedback from either the English or French unions as to why they have opted out of the trial uh, the, the English would be would be along the same lines of, of, of uh, the IRFU in terms of the safety of the goggles. Um, in France, you're not actually allowed to play with, say, in my case, uh, a missing eye. Although having said that, I, it, it, it's still there; it just doesn't work. But um, there's also a French player here who plays uh, professionally in, or semi-professionally in a, a town about uh, 30 minutes from me, um, and he played in Perpignan, played French under-20s, I played against him, and he lost his eye. And he's not allowed to play in France because of that reason, not, not only the fact that he um, wears the goggles. Um, so uh, we, we find that very, very confusing because players like, uh, bigger players like Jonah Lomu plays at one, played with one kidney while he was in France. Aaron Cruden has, has uh, uh, had testicular cancer. So... Um, that, that, that's a that's a much bigger issue, but that's France's stance on, on that, that's their stance that they're holding. Is that because the scale of the payout would be so enormous, or what? What's their problem? Because clearly, it's I would a, imagine so. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ian, obviously, uh, playing fly half, the ability to spot space, uh, that sort of thing is important. Uh, how much vision do you have at the moment, and do the goggles solely protect your good eye? Yes, exactly. Um, I people think that the goggles make me see better, or I can see through some players. In, in the other space, the spaces in behind or anything like that. It's, it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> it's solely for protection. It's uh, the, the material is polycarbonate, um, so it's fairly uh, strong material but flexible at the same time, which is hugely hugely important. But um, like at the, at the minute, um, people think if you lose one eye, you're, you're half blind. It's not the case, but there is a a distinct uh, part that I, I certainly can't see, but uh, with with exercises that I constantly do, with uh, projects that have been done and, and further projects in in the pipeline, hopefully this uh, it won't become uh, as much of an issue. Ian, uh, tell us how do you want the public to get behind your campaign? So um, I have a Facebook page, which is simply Ian McKinley. I have a Twitter. Twitter account, which is the McKinley campaign, which is Let, Let, Letty in Play. Um, and on those two sites, you can simply sign up to a petition. We've already got uh, 13,000 uh, or nearly 13,000 um, signatures, which has been incredible considering this has only been up uh, uh, not even a couple of weeks. Um, so that, that, that basically for anyone who doesn't know me, that, that's probably the best support that can be that can be done. But it's incredible the, the help that uh, people have, have given me that I don't even know from this public campaign uh, and it's just really uh, I'm very grateful and, and thankful to everyone so far that, that's, that's helped Well Ian you certainly have our support and we wish you all the best with it thanks a million for taking our call No problem thank you very much Competition time congrats to last week's winner John Bean from Belgoolian County Cork for the chance to win a €100 Euro voucher for any of DID's 22 stores around the country, just answer the following question. New Zealand and Australia are both aiming for a third World Cup title this Saturday. Which other country has won the Webb Ellis Trophy twice? Is it A, South Africa, B, England or C, Brazil? Answers, as usual, to the competition tab at downtheblindside.com. By the way, we'll also throw in a couple of tickets for either of the Pro 12 games this weekend in Limerick or Galway, so prompt entry is advised. We'll be announcing a winner on Friday.
Okay, to the Pro 12. This Friday, Munster are looking to cash in on the Halloween theme for their second game of the season in Limerick. Uh, the arrival of, of Ulster, they're calling it the Night of the Living Red. Uh, in fairness, two really competitive games between Munster and Ulster last season. Munster won 21-20 in Limerick, and if you remember, Ian Keatley uh, landed a conversion from we the do. corner to make it 23-all in the return fixture. Uh, to be short, a few buds at the weekend, both teams. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't see Connor Murray's or Keith Earls or Rory Best's taking any part. But there must be a chance that if they're trying to sell this, they're going to be looking to get Zebo, yeah, Dunica Ryan, Paddy Jackson, Darren Cave involved. Yeah, absolutely. The guys uh, we should also look out for, as ever, CJ Stander. But the difference is that he's now Irish. Yes. Uh, and Jordan Coughlin, who has been Irish all along. He's been Irish all along, and but he's having been, a second go now, yeah. now with Munster and. Exactly, he Seems was on, out of the centre. Yeah, but he, he was on that uh, very successful 20s team a few years ago with the likes of um, JJ Hanrahan. And um, Tomas O'Leary also was back in the fold. Yep. Good to see him back. I also noticed uh, watching them last Friday when they kind of they blew a, the possibility of a draw that Mark Chisholm is already making an impact. He, he pinched a couple of balls uh, on the Scarlet's throw. He's, he already looks like a good signing. Yeah. Uh, for Ulster, they have big injury problems, but uh, Les Kiss, it's his his first game in charge, or certainly he'll be there anyway. I'm not sure he'll be in charge, but it is his first game there, and given that they have uh, suffered so badly um, from the World Cup, it is at least good that he's coming on board. Um, regardless of what happens in Limerick, there's a possibility that by Saturday evening, Connacht will be top of the Pro 12 table. Surely a first for this stage of the season. Um Judging by Pat Lamb's comments, he targeted a first ever win at Liberty Stadium from a long way out. Now it's Edinburgh at home, a pivotal fixture for them last season when they went and lost to good golly, it's Solly's boys. Alan Solomon's Edinburgh team, yeah. It was actually it was a turning point in their season. Um, but they've got uh, a good opportunity, they've got momentum and they've also got Treviso and Galway next week. So these are... I suppose great opportunities for Connacht to bank more, even more points before heading into Europe in, uh, in mid-November. Now, on Sunday, we also have Leinster in action in Treviso. Uh, you were in the ODS on Friday, Brand, last, Friday last. What did you make of them? I thought they were okay. I was When I got home, somebody was saying, oh, did you go to that? And I said, yeah, and he's, God, what a, what a load of muck that was. I didn't, thought it was a decent enough game. Glasgow played well, and I thought Glasgow deserved to win. A little bit dodgy with that... Uh, Get out of jail from referee Ian, da- Ian Davis. There were two, for me, there were two big decisions in the game. The first one was a forearm smash, which knocked out Aaron Dundon, for which Pat MacArthur got a yellow card and no more, which I thought was a surprise. And it hasn't been revisited, which I thought was an even bigger surprise. And then Ian Davis gave a penalty try for. Just before half time, right? Yeah. I just, it did, by no means, the criterion is. That if foul play had not, if the incident had not taken place, then a try was inevitable. And I didn't think that the try was inevitable. Yeah. Uh, the quote from Ian Davis was if it, uh, when he was talking to his TMO, if it wasn't for the hand of 14, the try would otherwise have been scored, question mark. And TMO says yes. And if you play it back, there's no way it was gar- a guaranteed try, as you say. I'm waiting for a TMO when asked a question like that says, oh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I think their first, their rule of thumb is you need to support the man in the middle. 
Well, the the other interesting thing I I think is when it comes to to try decisions, if it's a fifty fifty call, I think the attacking team is definitely getting the benefit of the of the doubt. Uh, whether that's a good idea or not. Are you I, suggesting this is the, the super fifteen super rugby try scoring committee is now? Well, I just know that. I'm sorry to bring it into a cricketing context, but in, if there's a fifty fifty, there's doubt involved in an LBW decision. The batsman gets. The, the chance he gets the benefit. Mm. Uh, it's definitely the attacking side that's getting the benefit. Yeah, I think there's an element of rugby needs more tries. Open your eyes and ears to an awesome autumn of sport with DID Electrical, and you could win a €1,000 Samsung 4K curved TV. Just spend €100 Euro or more in any DID Electrical store or online at DID.ie. There's one amazing Samsung 4K curved TV to be won every day. Be in it to win it every day at DID Electrical. Terms and conditions apply. See in store for details. On the club front, meanwhile. Friday night. Yeah, Friday night lights. There's only one of the five games in Division 1A is on Friday night. I'm Why sure, is that? Well, I'm sure it's to do with Friday night, no lights. Am I right? The, the games are in Con. Lansdowne could have been played on Friday, I would have thought. Yep. Young Munster don't have. Do they have lights that could I'm sure be used? They do, and Cons do. I don't, don't think Glenina, um, don't think Regions have lights. But why would you want to be playing the day of the World Cup final? Well, they've brought the, the kickoff forward to two o'clock, but it's a four o'clock World Cup final uh, kickoff. So that means that. If you go really fast, uh, if you hop into the shower and you might get in for some of the second half. So skip the shower and <laughs> I just have a bag of crisps after the game as opposed to a post-match meal. Okay, well That's listen, fine, that's that sort of thing. Just, just to recap, just the games are uh, on Friday. It's Terenure against Clontarf, which looks a cracker. On Saturday, it's Con versus Ballon Hinch. Lansdowne versus Gary Owen. Young Munster versus Leaders, Old Belvedere. And Galwegians versus UCD. That's just wanted to go through those well done. fixtures again. Very good. Finally, of course, four o'clock. Where will you be watching that? The the Rugby World Cup final. I'll be in the comfort of your armchair. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm cheering on the Aussies. I have to say. Yeah. Why? Because I like the style, I'm, and I, I do like the style of rugby they play. I'm not suggesting for a moment that the exhibition that the ABs put on <laughs> against France in Cardiff was not the best thing we've ever seen, but. Uh, I would like to. I'd like to see them win. Simple as. Well, would you not have? Would you not have sympathy for the smaller island neighbouring? No, no, it doesn't. That no. doesn't go on rugby, does it? No. Well, personally, I'm hoping it's Australia purely because I I want to read Neil Francis's profile <laughs> of Kane Douglas afterwards. <laughs> um, it's going to be a. I mean. Yeah. Uh, look, I've, I know Frano has an exclusive uh, on the Kane Douglas thing, and there may it may well not be Kane Douglas who's playing for Australia at all. And I, I hope I haven't blown for Frano. It's his twin brother. It's his twin brother. Can uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, well, I think it's the two best teams in the competition going head to head. Sure, it's not north v south, but it could be or should be a cracking game of rugby. We'll be here again next week to discuss it all on Down the Blind Side, brought to you in association with DID Electrical. I'm Peter O'Reilly of the Sunday Times. And I'm Brendan Fanning of the Sunday Independent. And we look forward to your company then.